to baptize Dawson. Um, you should know one of my stress dreams is that I'll forget to bring a change of clothes after a baptis- baptism. <laughs> it's hard not to get a little emotional welcome some, welcoming someone into the body of Christ like that. Um, and then it's hard to regain your focus to then preach a sermon immediately afterward, too. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you can go ahead and be finding that. As I told you earlier, uh, we are going to be preparing for a sermon on the church beginning the Sunday after Labor Day. And I feel like these first four and a half years have kind of been preparing us to be the church. As I've tried to be prayerful about how I plan what I'm going to preach and our teaching. And um, it seems like God has, has led me consistently to things that would teach us what it means to follow Christ and who Jesus is and what the gospel is and what it means to be forgiven through Jesus and, and what it means to let all the effects of that come out in our lives and what the church is and isn't. I mean, how many times have I said over the last four and a half years that the people are the church, the church isn't a place, all those things. Uh, you might get tired of hearing it. I even feel like this summer has been preparation for us to figure out what to do as the church. It's important that we don't jump to what to do before we realize who we are and what God has done. We don't want to just be pragmatic and figure out how to fill the pews or how to accomplish our goals. We need to figure out what God wants to do and what he's doing. And this summer, I haven't been preaching through a book or any particular series, which is really uncomfortable for me, as some of you know. I love the warm, cozy comfort of working my way through a book. You know, it's, it's all, the context is there. I don't have to give you all the full context anew every week. It keeps me safe from preaching on any, you know, hobby horses of my own. I just preach the whole counsel of the word as God directs me. But this summer I decided that each week I would just prayerfully, as I'm reading the Bible for myself, ask the Lord, is there a passage in this reading that you would want me to share with your people this Sunday? And almost every week he has given me a passage in which Jesus challenges us to examine our hearts to see if we truly are Christians or not. It seems to me that this summer, he has really wanted us to consider if we really believe this stuff, if we really believe who Jesus says he is, if we truly do want to follow him, if we truly do want to abide in him, or if we want to just do church things. That hasn't been my design. It just seems like that's the way the Spirit has led. So this Sunday is going to be sort of the, the last of, a, of, of that kind of sermon. And then next week's the Labor Day retreat. And then we're going to step into a study of what do we do now. Okay, so please hear this scripture. Please look at it with, with open eyes and let the Holy Spirit examine you in light of this passage. It's 1 Corinthians, just the first three verses. It's just an introduction. We're going to be thinking about the true church. Do any of you remember when we were in Romans? Of course you do. Um, When we were in Romans and Paul was talking about true Israel, and we learned that though Israel is a uh, genealogical uh, nation, within that group of people there's a true Israel and there's a false Israel. And the true Israel are the ones that truly do follow God's teachings and truly do recognize Jesus as the Messiah. That's true Israel. It's the same effect with church. 
There's the true church and there's the false church. The true church is hidden within the false church. Not everyone in church pews in our crowd or in all of our churches in America and across the world is a Christian. Not everyone who says that he's a Christian is a Christian. So there's a true church and a false church. The true church is hidden within the false church. And it's a very dangerous situation. It's dangerous to know if you're the true church or the false church. And I'm not alone in this. I always like to tell you, Billy Graham himself, you know, if you don't, you know, you may not respect this kid up here, you know, what do I know? But Billy Graham himself suspects that 80% of church membership is not actually saved Christians because we get sucked into just doing church. And as you know, that's something I'm very, very worried about. I'm very concerned about that. I'm very concerned for all of us that we miss Jesus and the gospel for doing church. So I think this passage will be one more look before we get busy starting to talk about what we're going to do as a church. Okay, so if you are able to, would you please stand? We stand as a way to express honor. This is a miracle book. This is no normal book. We will read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be the saints together, with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's ask for God's blessings over our study of his word. Lord, would you please enlighten us? Would you please... Help us to see and hear what you want us to see and hear in this, this passage. We confess that we are not able to figure out these lofty spiritual realities unless you reveal them to us. So please help us now, all of us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I have been studying this passage, these three verses, which may seem like an odd three verses to study, a short introduction to a letter, of which we're not going to study the rest of the letter right now. Um, but this, I do believe this is where the Spirit has led me. So I've been studying these three verses, and I've, I've synthesized it into a little outline. Um, don't be distracted by my outline. Focus on what the Scripture actually says. Please do have it in front of you in your Bible or look up there. Uh, forgive me for rolling my sleeves up more. I'm hot. Something about changing quickly makes you hot. Um, The true church, per this passage, is called and calling. There's There's a sense in which the true church is the called people, and the true church are the people who call. And I'm going to explain what I mean. So first, the true church is called. And I get that from the first part of verse 2 says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. This uh, word call is the idea of a summon. It's not a phone call that we can ignore. You know, when someone calls you on the phone, who holds the power there? The recipient holds the power. You know, if I call you and you see Matt Broadway pop up on your cell phone, you have the decision to make if you want to answer that or not. 
And of course, you'd be like, hey, it's Matt. And you answer it right away because it's me. But sometimes it's somebody that you don't like as much as me. And you make the decision, no, I'm not going to respond to that call. God's call is not like that. See, when God calls, he holds the power. He makes the decision. God's call is not something that we can ignore. Okay, the church is the people whom God has called. Now, this is good news that God's call cannot be ignored and that the church is made up of the people he chooses, the people that he calls out, because that means that could be any of us. Even the person, whoever it is that you think is least likely to ever accept Christ and become a part of the church can definitely become a part of the church because it's not their decision that makes the difference so much as it's God's decision to call them. Okay, so the true church is the called out people. Okay, the true church is then initiated by God because he makes the call. The true church then is made up of changed people. See, God's call changes people. It says Paul was called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus in verse 1. It's the same word. It's the same idea. The same way in which Paul, formerly Saul, you know, who murdered Christians, persecuted the church, was called to be an apostle. It's the same way that all of us average Joes are called to be part of the church. It's a dramatic thing. It's a, it's a, deep, a deeply changing thing. Let me read to you how Paul was called. Some of you know this. Some of you grew up in church and know this story. Some may not. This is in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Saul was a self-righteous Jewish person that hated Christ and hated Christianity and traveled, and his work was persecuting Christians. He would drag men and women out of their homes while the children were watching and have them questioned and beaten. You know, when Stephen, the first martyr, the first one killed with stones for being a Christian, was killed, Paul was there holding everyone's coats. His name was Saul back then. The change was so dramatic that they changed his name also to Paul. So here's what happened to Paul when he was called. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, meaning Christianity, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who are traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. And then if we were to keep reading, you would see how God arranged someone to come and to minister to Paul and to to be a messenger to tell Paul what to do next. See, when you're called by God, it changes you. Now, this is different from deciding to join a local church. Anybody can decide to join a local church, answer the right questions with the right answers as the pastor talks to them, come up, 
be presented. You know, when we present a member to the church, everyone automatically stands to vote them in. There's, I've never once seen anybody remain seated. Uh-uh. You know, th- this is, that whole thing is something that we do to try to keep track of who we're responsible for and who our fellowship is. You know, when I invite someone to come to church, and even if it goes great, and they come, and they love it, and you guys are super welcoming, and they stick around, that can all still happen just with human initiative. But when God calls someone to truly join the true church, it changes them. God's call includes change. So since the true church is the called church, this means that God initiates it. This means that it involves change. And it means that the true church is sanctified and saintly. Did you see that in the verse? The true church is sanctified and saintly. Look back into the beginning of verse 2 there. To the church of God that is, that is in Corinth. To those sanctified, set apart as holy, purified, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, cleansed by him, made new by him, you are a saint. It's called the sainthood of all believers. We're saints. Did did anybody wake up feeling like a saint? Did anybody eat their Fruit Loops this morning thinking that they were a saint? Well, the Bible says that if you truly are part of the true church, you are a saint. And this is in a lot of Paul's addresses to the church. In Romans 1.7, says, to those called to be saints. In 2 Corinthians 1.1, he writes, to all the saints in Achaia. In Ephesians 1.1, he writes, to the saints who are in Ephesus. In Philippians 1.1, he writes, to the saints who are in Philippi. In Colossians 1.2, he writes, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. If he were to write to us, he would say, to the saints that are in the Mint Hill Midland area. Because it was geographical back then. They didn't all run out and put a, a, a sign up with their church name. They didn't have a brainstorming session and come up with a hip church name and put a sign up. They were just the Christians in that, that area. To be sanctified means to be set apart as Holy. You know, one Sunday morning, you know how reverently we participate in communion. And we, and we pass the little cup around. One morning, I've told this story so many times, Will, and I don't think you've ever been here for it until this morning. One morning before Sunday school, I walked into the kitchen, and I think it was Will, was sitting there drinking the communion juice because it's Welch's grape juice. You know, he wasn't thinking about it. It was just grape juice. I think it was you. Forgive me if it was somebody else. If it wasn't you, it was Andrew. <laughs> so I walk in, and he's drinking the communion juice. I'm like, Will, what are you doing? That's the communion juice. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Big grape mustache. I'm just kidding. I don't know if that was the case. But see, at that moment, it was just sitting in there. It was just grape juice, Welch's juice in the refrigerator, just like your kids might drink. But see, once we bring it in here, we set it apart. Once it becomes part of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, supper it is set apart as holy. It is, it is something special. It's not a big deal to see someone in the kitchen drinking some grape juice. It would be a really big deal to see Will walking through the pews, knocking them back like shot glasses. Because at that point, they have been set apart. They are set aside. They're, 
They're seen as holy. They're different. And you know, the word saint actually just means different. See, when you're called into the true church, you are set aside different now from the rest of the world. Being a part of the true church means that you can't look like the world anymore. Different now. It's different now. You're a saint. Now, this is really important, um, and I need to dwell here for a minute. Because it's possible that I may have focused too heavily on God's grace in my time here. Maybe. I'm not sure. I have really, really wanted you to understand that God's forgiveness is free to you because Jesus paid for it. I've really wanted you to understand that you are saved by grace through faith, not of any works that you have done. I really want you to understand that, you know, you come into church is a good thing, but it doesn't earn you any favor in God's eyes. We don't earn it. We don't earn salvation. We're given it through Christ when we believe in him. And I have basically stood there and I've been there since January 2009 when I first got here. I have not talked to you a whole lot about God's call to us to be holy. So if I have erred too heavily on grace, I'm sorry. But let's now look at his call on us to be holy. We cannot call ourselves Christians and look just like the rest of the world who does not know Christ. It, it cannot be. Now, it can be for a little bit until our Father disciplines us, convicts us of our sin, teaches us, reproves us, helps us to grow. But we cannot go on living that way. Now, notice, I'm not saying we ought not to. I'm saying we cannot. A Christian cannot live like the world indefinitely. A deceived person who is involved in church but has never truly been changed by Jesus Christ can live like the world indefinitely. Because a father disciplines his sons. I discipline Elias and Lillian. I don't discipline your children. So some people are able to get away with living in worldly ways for their whole lives without feeling crushed you know, in their conscience by the Holy Spirit. And it works. And they can go to church and put on their Sunday finest and smile when their children know the reality of what goes on at home. And they can do that for decades. Those people are not Christians. God will not allow his children to live that way. Because when you're called into the true church, it changes you. It sets you apart. Sanctifies you. As a saint. As one who is now different from the world because he is growing to become like Jesus Christ. It's a high calling to be a saint. We don't think of ourselves that way. You know, we who truly are believers. You know, we don't have a glowing halo. We don't wear holy looking robes. And it can be so hard to tell. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who among us are truly Christians in the true church and who isn't. I have no idea. Only time will tell. It's those who persevere to the end who are saved. Man, there may be some among us that in the end it will turn out never truly gave their lives to Christ, never followed Jesus as their Lord. They just got so good at looking like a Christian. There may be some that, that it will just be gut-wrenching to find out 
We're never believers. We've got to think clearly here. The true church is called. This means that the true church is initiated by God. This means that the true church is changed. This means that the true church is sanctified and saintly. Now, the second part of this picture from these verses, the true church calls. So the true church is called. They receive this effective call from God to be changed as they believe in Christ and accept forgiveness and follow him as Lord and receive the Holy Spirit. But the true church also calls back. There's a, it's like a conversation that goes on in the true church between the church and God. I get this from the second part of verse 2. I have to read the first part, though, for it to make sense. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together, here's the part for us now, with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. All those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The true church calls upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The true church depends on Jesus. So the bad news is we're all born into sin and we're a mess. We're all naturally selfish. We all naturally would rather lie and discard the truth if it means protecting ourselves or getting a little more. You you see this in children. You don't have to teach them these things. We're born into it. That's the bad news. The good news is God is gracious, and through Jesus Christ has made a way for us to be forgiven of all that because Jesus succeeded where we failed. He lived the perfect life, and he died to pay for our sins. And then he rose from the grave to be our Lord. It's good news. The true church depends on this entirely. It falls apart without Christ at the center. The false church can continue without Jesus. You know it's false church if it can go without Jesus. The true church depends on Jesus Christ. Now, we need to examine ourselves here. Is what we're doing that we call Christianity, does it require Jesus Christ? If it's just a program of morality and niceness and religious activity, it may not. If it's utter dependence on a Savior and an utter relationship with the Lord, then that's true. So the true church calls. This means that it depends on Christ. This means that it prays. Who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This word call means to address or to speak to. The true church prays, speaks to Jesus Christ. Now, I've shared this with you before. The book that the women read in the women's book brunch last, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. It's a really good book. The pastor there was completely desperate. The church was just a corpse of a group of people. I mean, just nothing was happening. Everything was going wrong. He went away despondent and called out to the Lord for some guidance. And he came back all excited because he felt like God had spoken to him. And he told his church, from now on, we're going to focus all our energy on the Tuesday night prayer meeting. And there was a visiting minister there that day, which was rare, and he came forward and addressed the church. And he said something to the effect of, 
You can tell how popular the church is by how many people come on Sunday mornings. You can tell how popular the pastor is by how many people come on Sunday evenings. You can tell how popular Jesus is by how many people come to the prayer meetings. Now, that's a pithy statement. That's not straight from Scripture. But it rings true. Now, I'm not saying that your attendance in prayer meetings is the gauge of your health. I don't know all your circumstances in terms of schedule and whatnot and rides and gas money. But your prayer life is probably a pretty good indicator. If you can go on living without needing to depend on Jesus for forgiveness of our regular sin and guidance, whatever you're doing is not Christianity. So the true church calls, it prays, and it speaks Jesus' name. Did you see that? Those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. His name. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Have you noticed how awkward a conversation gets as soon as you mention the name of Jesus Christ? It's real easy to talk to people about church and God and the Bible. I say real easy. I mean, it's doable. But man, it takes, it takes guts to start saying the name of Jesus. To let others know that you call upon the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. And the true church calls upon the name of Jesus. Now one more point, but a very important one. Since the true church calls on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that means that the true church relates to Jesus Christ as Lord. That's a very specific sort of relationship. There's nothing vague about that language. Relating to anyone as Lord means that you are subservient to them in every way and that they have absolute ownership rights over you. It's extreme language. You know, this Christianity thing isn't for everybody. But the true church relates to Jesus Christ as their Lord. I've been trying to think of a way to make this plain to myself and to you. And something occurred to me. Maybe a good test. The first question to ask yourself, are you, how much alike are you with Jesus Christ? Are you much like Jesus? Are you as holy as he is, as wise as he is? Do you know as much as he knows? Is your heart as firmly in the right place as his is? I mean, the answer is no, because you guys are all jerks. No, I'm just kidding. It's the answer is no for all of us. We are not like Jesus. We are very different from Jesus. I am very different from Jesus. Now, since I am different from Jesus, that means if I step under him and he is my Lord, that means that my behavior is going to have to take some courses that I would not have otherwise chosen. If you cannot step underneath the lordship of someone very, very different from you and not experience uncomfortable changes to your lifestyle. So if, you know, if you're going through life without ever encountering any areas in which you have to do something that's unnatural to you because you follow Christ, or you have to do something that's uncomfortable to you because you follow Christ, you're probably not following Christ, or perhaps you're exactly like Christ. So it's it's one of the two. Either you're not following him, or you're so in tune with him 
that it's like twins. Okay, it's not that one. We're not twins. Now, that uncomfortable thing that, that you might have to do or act like because you follow Jesus could take many forms. It could take the form of how you operate with your money. It could take the form of how you operate in your relationships. Well, it definitely will take the form of those things. It could take the form of having to make a very uncomfortable phone call. It could take the form of having to have conversations that you really don't, nothing in you wants to have them, but you know you must. Because you have a Lord and he's telling you to. It, if he's your Lord, it must equal some sort of compulsion. He must compel you to do something. Makes no sense to call him your Lord if he's not compelling you to do anything. So the true church is called, meaning that God initiates it, that the people are changed and that they are sanctified and saintly. The true church calls upon the Lord Jesus, which means that they depend on Jesus. They pray, they speak his name, and they follow him as their Lord. That's the true church. Now, I, I don't bring this up all the time to browbeat you. I don't bring this up all the time because I'm judging you. I bring this up all the time because it's just everywhere in Scripture, and I can't escape it. I'm going to answer for what happens among us. Please take this seriously, especially before we launch into this fall where we're going to start talking about what we're going to do. Don't paper over anything the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your heart now and then just get busy in the fall. You know, there's going to be many people who call out to Jesus and he's going to say, I don't know you. Please don't let that be any from among us. So I'm going to close with a couple of questions, six questions for you to consider. And we'll close in prayer. Question one, has God called you to be a part of the true church? Number two, has God changed you? Number three, are you growing in saintliness, are you growing in Christ-likeness? Are you growing to look different from the world? Number four, do you depend on Jesus for salvation and guidance as your Lord? Number five, simple one, do you pray? Number six, does Jesus direct you as your Lord? Does he direct your life? Okay, if the answer is no to some of those, I just invite you to come and, and speak with me. I'm not inviting you to do any any big bizarre thing other than come talk to me because it may be that God's calling you right now. He might be calling you right now. You know, that heart-thumping anxiety that you may be feeling, that pressure that something must happen, that you are feeling compelled to do something, that may be the call right now. It may be that you feel like, well, I've sat in this same seat for decades. If I get up now, people are going to be shocked that I could be a part of this church for so long without believing in Christ. Don't worry about that. We will all rejoice. It may be that you don't feel that you understand everything, but you feel some compulsion to do something. Do it. And we'll sing this last song. It'd be a great time to come up and just tap me on the shoulder. We'll pray together now. We'll talk after. My prayer is that we'll all be called into the true church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, to guide us into all truth. Please help us now. Please make your call plain. Please sanctify the saints. Please convict the sinners. Or may we be the true church. May we respond to your call 
and call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.